Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Quality sleep is essential for boosting energy, recovery, and well-being. So, take your sleep to the next level with Sleep Number. With a Sleep Number smart bed, you can individualize your comfort level and enjoy a better sleep night after night. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599, a saving of $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. And I said, I want to win the league, but I want to win it better. You can understand that, can't you? Yes. Good luck. So he's almost like having a second captain in the team. <laughs> second captain, first captain, whatever. There's a famous saying among older baseball fans in Chicago that I think people from a certain west of Ireland county could probably empathise with. I hope they do it in my lifetime, is what they've always said. Well, the Chicago Cubs have done it this year, or at least they've done some of it. They've won the National League pennant, Ken and Murph, for the first time this year since uh, 1945. Long time, which means they're in the World Series. We have to go back more than 100 years. Again, 1908 was the last time they won the whole thing, and that's what they're attempting to do against the Cleveland Indians at the moment. I, d- I know that you just mentioned Mayo there in passing. I mean, do Mayo people really want to hear that there's a team that have been doing this for a hundred years that they still have 35 plus eight? No, because the Cubs are years. about to do it this year, Murph. They've done some of it, and if, they're going to complete the job. If you're a Mayo fan and you say, "Right, okay, Grant, I've only got 43 years." left to wait I mean I don't know how happy you'd be to hear that news to be honest John depends on your age I suppose if you're 16, 17 you might be well I can do this then on my head I I don't know I don't know if people want to hear that when we travelled to Chicago to meet US Murph who were going to travel to San Francisco I should say to meet US Murph who we're going to be talking to today obviously a year or so ago what was that I'm getting mixed up in my years Murph May 2015 May 2015 the Cubs had started to I've started to turn things around in the last couple of years. They've gotten the former general manager from the Boston Red Sox who revolutionised that franchise and he's done the same with the Cubs. We'll get into all that with Brian, but uh, I remember going to up to pre-clearance in the immigration, in, in the airport. Yeah. Mm-hmm. US visa, whatever you call it, US immigration pre-clearance. Yes. I, I, I don't know if people get the same appre- sense of apprehension as I do going up to those guys. I just always feel like they're not going to allow me into their country. Mm. <laughs> yeah, oh, do you get this? Carlos the Jackal McDevitt. <laughs> <laughs> what, about, what did I do on my J1? Was there a, was there a night that was just a little too drunken yeah. that I uh, don't recall, but they have some sort of fingerprints on me? Mr. Need- Early, do you remember your Deb's night? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> there were some incidents. You need uh, to stop wearing those tinted travelling spectacles. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So I went up a little bit nervy. Uh, and I never comport myself too impressively to those guys I find as well I just get too too unnerved too early on and of course we were going over to work so he said this is hilarious so he said are you serious about this I'm 1000% certain I'm not the only person who feels this way Ken you might be a super confident human being but I I, I actually (laughs) they don't stop I mean they don't stop well they do actually I was with somebody once who got dragged into a cell in Dublin airport and was interrogated for an hour over an incident that had occurred in America a number of years before a very minor incident Uh, but do you, you do 
Get it right. Do you have anything on your conscience, Hannah? Is there something you haven't been telling us about no, there the is United nothing. States? Do they know what you did so, many summers ago? I spoke to this guy and he, he says, oh, I see you have a work visa here. What kind of work are you doing? And again, I was going over to do podcasts. Nothing nefarious there, but I, I said, oh, just the sports media podcasts. I hope this guy listens to podcasts. Yeah. And he said, sports media, what kind of sports? And I was like, oh, well, we'll be talking basketball, maybe a bit of baseball. And he goes, oh, my God, I'm a Cubs man. I'm a Chicago man. Oh, right. Oh, weird. And then he starts talking about the Chicago Cubs as though I knew every last bit of what they mm. were up to this season. That it's was like, probably him waiting, trying to see if you were really were a sports, sports journalist. And he said, he, he said to me, my mum is, I think in her 80s, he said. And it was getting kind of emotional by the end of this conversation. He was saying, essentially, I hope they do it in her lifetime. Right. Was, was the wow. People like you are the reason why that immigration pre-clearance is always such a bitch to get through. That, that room is just this roiling mass, this huge scrum of people awaiting in this bad-tempered uh, series of queues because people like you are chit-chatting about the Chicago Cubs <laughs> to the uh, security staff. You know, uh, I, had a, I had a, well, broadly similar uh, interaction a number of years before that trip. Uh, it was uh, when we were working on our radio show and uh, I too had written in, journalist in my occupation or whatever, and uh, the woman in question asked me, oh, what kind of journalism do you know? I go, oh, well, I work in a sports radio show. And she goes, oh, is that the one on in the evenings? And she, I said, yeah, yeah, it is. And she looked at me and she goes, I hate that effing show. <laughs> on you go. <laughs> and that was it. She's a little harsh. <laughs> I felt a little harsh, Owen, to be honest. But I mean, again, like you, I'm a little nervous in that situation. I was just pleased yeah, thanks, that I'd gotten glad. through the... That particular interaction. I don't, I don't get it. I mean, she, sure, she insulted my entire life's work up until that point. But I mean, hey, you know, what are in, you going to do? Indignant, maybe. I mean, you know, what right do you, what is this, you know, Nazi Germany? I thought this was America. But uh, I don't know. I don't think there's anything, I don't think there's anything. There's nothing Any fear. reason why they shouldn't <laughs> let me in. The city of Chicago will be a very fun place to be for the Irish rugby team and indeed supporters if you're going over because they may well be in full World Series celebration mode. By that stage, that game against New Zealand at Soldier Field is on Saturday week. Simon caught up with Johnny Sexton ahead of that trip. We'll hear from Sexton a little bit later on. And we'll get reaction to the news that Katie Taylor, Ireland's greatest ever amateur fighter, has officially turned professional today. Right after this. I've got a call here that says, you're the most boring, predictable, condescending interviewer around. Go back to lecturing. You have the charisma of a sick bag. Oh, God. That's just it. I just wow. mentioned, not you, not me. Okay, ain't nobody f***ing with my click, click, click. We don't normally broadcast all the, the stuff that comes from scum around the country. Today's scumbag is a running scumbag. The worst kind of scumbag. Oh, Rob yeah. O'Hanrahan. Those guys. Subject, 26.2 miles of the lads. Hey lads, got put onto your podcast in May when I started training for the marathon. Yes, it is impossible for someone who's training for a marathon to not tell you that they're training for a marathon. It's like being a <laughs> you vegan. You did it in the first line. <laughs> yeah, it's like being a vegan or a UKIP member. <laughs> I'd heard about you plenty of times, but I figured rather than listening to the same eight songs on repeat for hours while pounding the pavement, I figured I'd intersperse your insight with cereal and see how I got on. Oh, okay. Good choices, good choices all around there. You lads have kept me sane over the past few months, saving the Thursday podcast for the long runs at the weekends. You haven't lived until you have run from Randall at the Baddy Bowden and back while seeing how many miles you can slot into Ken's report on sport. 3.4 is the current record. <laughs> this weekend is no different. 
apart from that whole marathon thing. I'll be keeping Thursday's podcast until Sunday, where they'll hopefully that they will hopefully keep me sane for the four to eight hours I'll be out around the city. Looking forward in particular to the dissection of the Manchester Derby, or to give it its proper title, Pep Mourinho 2 Grudge. Cheers, Rob O'Hanron. That means, guys, that Rob O'Hanron is currently running the Dublin City Marathon as he listens to this podcast. Oh, Rob. Hope you're going well there, Rob. Get the gels in. Don't mention the wool, everyone. <laughs> uh, but... Okay, well, Great email, th- Rob. Thanks very much. Yeah, th- and thank you, Second Rob. Captain's and the Irish very best of luck to you on the marathon that you're currently running. Yeah. But if Just remember, Rob, first is first, second is nowhere. <laughs> if you're not winning this marathon, we don't want to hear about it. Uh, aren't you not allowed to listen to personal devices while running the marathon? The, that varies from city to city. Could be the case yeah. in Dublin. I'm not sure. No, you know, yeah, that that is a it's a, a hot topic, Murphy. You've obviously been on some running message boards, but isn't, obviously, isn't it a bit? You know, when you're talking about 26.2 miles, you know, pushing the limits of of the human capacity for suffering. Uh, are you not getting to the point at which carrying an actual device that could play podcasts, you know, like a phone or whatever, mm. is uh, a kind of a gross inefficiency. Well, uh, you mean weight-wise? Yeah. Well, I mean, uh, weight-wise, kind of comfort-wise, I don't know how this thing is attached. I suppose people have... Rob's uh, usually people will yeah, stick it on an arm kind of yeah. holder. Yeah. Rob's lofty ambition is to run this in between four to eight hours. <laughs> yeah, very broad So I'm thinking he's, he's not a fine margin. <laughs> okay. You know, he's not Dave Brailsford here. It's not yeah. like Marginal a SpaceX yeah, mission yeah. to Mars. See, Rob, I'm, sh- that's, uh, I'm sure that's the fastest minute you'll have passed in this entire marathon there, just us talking about you. So, Katie Taylor says she wants to make the same impact in professional sport as she did in the amateur game. And that is a hell of an impact. When I first dreamt of Olympic gold, female boxing was practically unknown, she said today. Now, because of my journey and the incredible supporters who came along with me, female boxing is as much a part of the fabric of the Olympics as its male counterpart. Now I want to do the same for the professional sport. She has signed a pro contract with Eddie Hearn's Matchroom Boxing. She's going to be fighting for the first time uh, professionally at the Wembley Arena in London on November the 26th. And her second fight is going to be uh, going to be on the undercard of Anthony Joshua's IBF heavyweight title defence. Big news for Katie. Big news for women's boxing. Big news for Irish sport. Brian Peters has tweeted, Delighted to be working with Katie Taylor. Excited by the plans Eddie Hearn and Sky Sports have for, for, for her, which will transform women's boxing. Brian, how are you keeping? Good, good, thank you. How are you doing? I'm doing great, yeah. Good to talk to you. I haven't chatted to you in a while. Uh, so what capacity are you involved in with Katie's professional um, venture? I'm managing Katie. I'm Katie's manager, I suppose it's my official title. Great, uh, which you must be pretty excited about, I'm sure. Very, very excited. Um, she's just, you know, every, everything she does, she gives it 100%. She's just a class act in, in every shape or form. And um, I think it's going to be a very, very interesting journey ahead. It is. an intre- Yeah, that's probably... a a good way of phrasing it, an, an interesting journey, a journey that is kind of un, well, it's uncharted territory, really. I saw Eddie Hearn speaking a while ago about the possibility of signing Katie up, and he said he was really excited about the prospect, but he admitted himself that he, he hasn't uh, he hasn't promoted female fighters, so he doesn't know exactly. It's a journey into the unknown for him to a certain extent as well. Is it the same for you? It is, it is, but I suppose, you know, anyone that's had the pleasure of watching Katie and certainly live and, you know, live boxing is where it's at. She's, she's, uh, she's more entertaining than most of the guys, than most of the, uh, the men boxers. And, you know, that's what, that's what it's really about. It's, 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 uh, entertaining the people that come and, you know, with working, myself and Katie working with Eddie, it's going to give a platform there. She's going to be fighting live on the 26th, uh, 
live in Sky Sports, which is which is great. And then going to be following that up on December 10th, going to be fighting live again, which for a while it looked like it was going to be Anthony Joshua against Klitschko. Mm-hmm. You know, um, so she's going to get great opportunities. And I believe that she can just really transform and engage a new generation of people to women's professional boxing, just like she done in the in the amateur, you know, to the amateur women's uh, boxing. Is that her aim? Is that she did? She seemed to be saying that all right in in her statements to promote the news that she feels like she wants to do. I mean, it's a big task to uh, essentially revolutionise a sport twice, both in the amateur game and the professional game for women. Yeah, that's 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 really what what Katie's hoping to achieve, and and you know, largely. I think people would have to back to remember when when Katie fought over in Chicago for the, the for the kind of a well, I don't know what they call it kind of a trial somewhat to see if it was going to be accepted into the Olympics. Yeah, you know, Katie went over and uh, you know you've seen what 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 happened in London. Obviously, uh, this Olympics didn't go quite according to plan, but like it opened new doors. It, it's and that's that's really what 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 Katie is about and what what Katie's hoping to achieve. And I think with the plan that we have in place that will involve Katie fighting in in England, obviously, in Europe and America, I believe, if anyone can do it, and I firmly believe that Katie Taylor will do it. Those are the plans. Are they? It's not just going to be fighting in UK venues under Sky Sports. She's going to be going touring around a bit? Definitely, yeah. Well, I suppose female boxing, women's boxing is big in, in, in some of the Scandinavian countries, America, you know, there's the other good, uh, Clarissa Shields, the big American lady, she's fighting, she's fighting on the, the Kovalev, uh, Andre Ward bill. And again, it's really just introducing Katie to, to, to the world again. I know obviously in Ireland we're, we're very aware um, and it's just seeing how exciting, how professional, how skilled, and what an athlete she is, and it's it's really just to showcase that to the world. Is there any fear on your side that she's quite old to be starting a professional career? Certainly if a male boxer was going pro at 30 years of age, we'd be asking this kind of question, and especially given the fact that she has lost three fights recently, having not lost any fights from 2011 up until April of this year. Is that a concern at all? No, no, no. Um, I believe she's a lot stronger mentally, Physically, you know, it's 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 a tough journey ahead. The Katie's probably had the year she's had hasn't been the best, um, but uh, things just the preparations wouldn't have went the way she would have liked. Um, and I just think that the time is kind of right. You see, even a quote there from the Sky Sports guys. I'm not so sure four years ago whether they would have, uh, you know, put women's professional boxing live on Sky Sports. And and here they are. So I just believe the time is right. It it, it obviously moves at a different pace than than the guys. Um, but I suppose the, the the main thing is really just to, to get a fight or two, you know, get a fight or two under the belt, and then and then see what way the, the landscape is. Is it possible for Katie? And do you think she will? still compete at the Olympics in four years' time because obviously this new ruling was brought in before these games and they were before the Beijing, uh, I should say, the, the games in Rio and largely focused at Tokyo to allow fighters to essentially turn professional and still be Olympians. Do you think that's on the cards for Katie? Well, look, I suppose anything is on the card. It's kind of hard to keep up with the rules nowadays. I can't keep up with yeah. the APP and this and the WSB and it's, it's kind of hard to keep up. So I suppose, look, anything is possible, but... 
but definitely her attention is, is very much, you know, I've, I've, I've had the pleasure of meeting a lot of great athletes in my time and, and you know, how focused, how driven this lady is, is just phenomenal. Um, just once Katie puts her mind on something, it's, it's amazing, you know, the, the, the way she blocks out everything, focuses, puts the head down, gets on with the job. So it's, it's very, very exciting times. I suppose you could look, you know, we're all slightly MMA fans now, thanks to Conor McGregor. Um, you look at what Ronda Rousey done, um, what Ronda Rousey done for the MMA, uh, which was a sport. You know, and, and Ronda wouldn't have been starting anything like the platform that Katie is starting from. So, because uh, actually a few years ago, I had a few talks with Holly Holm where um, ah, there, there, were, there were talks that Katie might have maybe gone professional then or, or, or ended up fighting Holly Holm. So, you know, there's, there's I suppose the, the, the whole thing is really just to get it started, get it going, and you just never know where it might lead. So there's no firm plan at the moment then to go professional for a, a portion of the four years and then focus on the Olympics in Tokyo? No. Okay. No. Oh, yeah, I just wanted to see what the, the latest was on that. Who's going to be training her, Brian? Training, she's training out in America, so we're going to be revealing all them details later on. Um, I suppose, like most things, it, it 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 came around. You know, it gathered a lot of pace there. Katie's back out in the states training, um, so we'll be having a press conference in a couple of weeks. Katie will be there. Eddie will be there. I'll be there myself. So um, the training details and that will will, okay. will be. Uh, We'll be addressing that later on. You, uh, it's obviously great that it's on Sky Sports. Is there any chance of Ortiz getting involved? Not just with Katie, but with all these, prof- you know, Conlon going pro now, Paddy Barnes, all these fighters leaving the amateur ranks. You've dealt successfully with Ortiz in the past with regards to boxing. Is that potentially on the cards? It is potentially. Um, RTE air air are you know stepping into the the Irish sports sporting world big big time. So RTE air TV three. Yes, we would be looking to that, and and you know it would be great to get them aired on on uh, some of the you know RTE is the big one, and um, yeah, would be would be definitely looking at that in the in the near future. Okay, we're looking forward to it, Brian. So November, I just want to get the date right again. November twenty sixth is our opening fight. That's going to be live in Sky Sports. Listen, we we uh, we'll watch with interest. Great to talk to you again on the show. Thanks a million. Cool. Thank you very much. Thank you. There you go. Pretty exciting stuff, I think, all round with Katie. Officially going pro now, Murphy. Yeah. Excitement levels reasonably high. Yeah, I mean, well, this is it. I mean, it, it's a whole new chapter, and I think that the, given what we've seen in the Olympics, I mean, you know, say even four years ago, there would have been a suggestion say that the that the the amateur game is uh, a more solid, uh, better place for the, for the sake of your own humanity. To stay amateur and to live in Ireland and all the rest, it's just it makes more sense. And jumping into the shark infested waters of the yeah. pro game, etc. I mean, I think we're all our eyes, have been opened a little, <laughs> our eyes have been opened a little bit. And why not roll the dice? I mean, she she's won the gold medal. She's gotten amateur boxing into the Olympics in the first place. I mean, I don't know that there's a whole lot more she could do in the amateur game. So let's see where this takes us. Yeah, I'm. Uh, my only concern is. I think she's gone in with the right people there, but my concern is, as I expressed it to Brian there, just that she's at the wrong end of her career. You know, she's 30 years of age. She has lost those three fights. Hadn't lost from 2011 for five years, basically, the good to five mm-hmm. years, to 2016. And has now lost three fights in her most recent t- tournaments, 
which so statistically that's an issue and that would suggest that she's on the downslide. Now, there were extenuating circumstances. She didn't have good preparation for the Olympics. Obviously, she had the issue with her dad not being in a corner anymore. So if, for the sake of her professional career, you kind of got to hope that a lot of that, that was all, they were all contributing factors to how her amateur career wound down in, in pretty yeah. uh, pretty poor circumstances and that she can pick it up again and maybe be revitalised by this move to the pros. We'll have to see about all of that. We'll also have to see whether she does end up competing in Tokyo. Now, that rule, as far as I know, at the moment, actually isn't in place. The rule that I, I mentioned there to Brian Peters is for male amateur boxers. Essentially, they can do what they want, go off, come back. I mean, it does seem to change every six months or a year. Yeah. And I would imagine, I don't see why... It won't follow suit for women's boxing because the head man there at the at the International Boxing Federation seems to want to muddy those waters as much as he can. So I would imagine that will probably be an option. That's just an educated guess in a few years' time for Katie, but maybe not to be worried about right now. Simon, the Ireland squad for the November Internationals has been named and the main bone of contention seems to be the low number of Connacht players involved. Yeah, three in total, and given so what they did last season, what they've done over the last few weeks against Toulouse and whatnot, at times the most exciting Irish province, actually for the last year and a half, the most exciting Irish province, and the most disappointing one is Nia Adiolokan, especially given the lack of pace in general in the Irish backline. Earls is out now with that ban, and you know Luke Fitzgerald is retired, and in general we just haven't had a whole lot of pace in the back three. Andrew Trimble will almost certainly be one of the wingers, and he's more about power and doing the basics right. It looks like Craig Gilroy might be the other winger now, um, which shows you how much the landscape has changed in the last couple of years. Tommy Bow not making the squad, of course. Injuries and maybe age. He's 32 now, I think. Adi Loken's probably been Connacht's best player. He's added defence and sort of an all-round reliability to just outrageous pace and finishing ability and confidence. And he kind of makes things happen. I mean, I think you, you have to have one of those guys in your squad, even if it was to make the bench. And the other one is Tierno Halloran, who's been... He's got a minor injury at the moment, but he's reportedly OK to train with Connacht this week, which would make him easily available in time for uh, the Chicago game against New Zealand. So he's another one that's scoring tries, and he's creative. You know, he's a more all-round footballer than Craig Gilroy, and he's probably almost as fast. Gilroy is the pace man, but he doesn't have a whole lot else to his game and he's got some pretty obvious weaknesses, not least his aerial game. You met up with one man who very much is in the mix out at an Aer Lingus event at the airport? Yeah, uh, the, he obviously came off at halftime in the Montpellier game. Leo Cullen said he was very angry about that. Uh, there was the strange issue over him not taking the kicks uh, and I started with that. I just asked him about his current injury situation. Him being Johnny Sexton, of course. What's your injury situation at the moment? You were apparently unhappy to come off at halftime, according to the coach. No, obviously I was. Yeah, well, I was hardly going to be happy coming off. Uh, I knew I wasn't going to play a full game, um, and then Leo just thought it was the best time to 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 come off. It was it was too risky to to cool down and then go again? And I suppose it just came off the back of uh, not having a. A big training week. I only did one session with the lads on on Friday, um, and then obviously I still was doing some tests on Saturday just to make sure that it, you know it was 100. percent So uh, I knew I wasn't going to play the full game, um, but obviously I would have liked to have played a little bit longer. I felt I could have, um, and I felt pretty good out there in the hamstring. And the kicking situation was that down to just not wanting to test the hamstring, or no? Because the hamstring was on the other side, um, so I had nothing to do. So with you don't strain at the other side while you're place kicking. Uh, I suppose you could, um, 
but uh, the, the reason was because I knew I was going to play the full game there's no point in me kicking for 40 or 50 minutes um, and then you know wishing he's a good luck as, I, as I'm walking off the pitch and he's got to take the important ones so um, it was really a natural thing to have to do was you know Issa um, you know even the kick at the end to get the bonus point uh, a tricky little conversion would have been made a hell of a lot more difficult if it was his first kick of the game so it was really made around the, around the team and uh, you know Issa's a very good kicker he kicked well the week before and um, he's never let Leinster down so um, that was the reason for it Yeah you've spoken extensively in the past there always seems to be a conspiracy theory around your injuries yeah. other no, players no, there's, a, there's a medical hearing and people accept it but with you there's always a bit more written about it and spoken about it It's annoying obviously. Yeah it's a bit frustrating Like I don't think we've ever told a lie um, whether it's been around the the concussion stuff or around any other injuries it would literally have been black and white but for some reason they they people think we lie about it uh, so even people close to me that you know they say as your hamstrings it's fine I told you it's fine and uh, all it says that you weren't right and so look it's frustrating but uh, it's just part of uh, sport nowadays yeah yeah you've kind of accepted it, even though in the past you've had to almost go public with it and say look, this is the situation. It's been serious enough for you to have to actually speak to a journalist or the press about it. Yeah, I think that was around the concussion issues mm. where... It, it's more serious than... Yeah, it is more serious really. when it's your health rather than your your rugby health or your you know your hamstring yeah. rather than your brain. Um, but it's equally as frustrating, you know... Uh, or, sorry, it's not equally as frustrating. It's it's way more frustrating when it's about your health um, and people suggesting that you've, you you yeah. could have long-term problems if you continue playing when they have absolutely no basis to, on which to to say that um, and they have no expertise so um, I don't want speculation around the hamstring strain um, but th- yeah that's fine Does it affect you with opponents because I remember O'Driscoll after he retired saying I used to hide things or I didn't like misinformation about my health or my injuries because opponents would actually target it. Now maybe it's different with something like a hamstring but do you think it would impact on your game at all if there was misinformation about your health going into big games? Yeah, it wasn't ideal last year around the, the concussion issues. You know, even the opposition coaches were uh, trying to put pressure on by um, saying that oh, I'd be worried if if he was playing for his own health and all this stuff. Like when, like I was honestly, the IRFU couldn't have done more to make sure that I was. Um, they actually went over the top to make sure that I was 100 percent. And um, yeah, it was incredibly frustrating. But thankfully. Um, Hopefully that's been put to bed now. I haven't been asked about it till you asked me today. Uh, so, yeah, thankfully it's uh, put to bed, I think. Yeah, really exciting time of the season for you. A completely different sort of fixture in Chicago against New Zealand. Um, some people talking about them as the greatest international side of all time. Mm. I know you guys don't, wouldn't like to talk about them in that way, but ridiculously impressive. But we have to talk about them in that way because they've done something. Because the points about, totals are... Yeah, because they've won 18 games in a row and yeah. no one's ever done it before. So, yeah, um, yeah they, they deserve that. Um, but hopefully we will be the best prepared team. I think we will be the best prepared team. And now it'll be up to the players to to go and put the plan that their management would have worked incredibly hard to come up with over the last few months. And they've had lots of opportunities to watch them um, and put together a plan and it'll be up to us to go and implemented and we'll see where, where that takes us I don't expect you to tell me what they are but have you seen any weaknesses in New Zealand uh, well we've seen lots of things that we can't do or we shouldn't do yeah. um, so that's that's one, yeah, <laughs> one yeah, benefit yeah. 
we've seen exactly how not to play against them. Um, so yeah, look, I'm sure we'll have learned uh, lots. I haven't obviously watched too much of them, just in a sort of sitting down on a, on a couch watching it. But that's different to actually studying it and, and you know sitting in meetings talking about it. So we'll go into more detail um, next week when we meet up for camp. And um, yeah, I'm looking forward to it really. On an objective level, the way they play, does it feel like the future of rugby, the way other teams are going to go, it's all about pace and skill and, and keeping the ball alive? Yeah, it's incredibly um, basic, you know, the, uh, which is why it's so impressive. They don't do anything. You watch them score a try and you think, well, what did they do there? They they just did hands across the line and yeah. score in the corner. Like, why can't we do that? But um, we've come up with a way of stopping it and then we've got to put, come up with a way to implement our game plan on them, to put pressure on them and make them feel um, the heat like they haven't felt it over the last uh, 18 games so um, big challenge ahead Yeah, Shane Horgan used to always say this to us New Zealand don't, their game plan is less complex than say mm. even Wales or Australia's, they're just doing they're just really fast and doing things simply and never over complicate Yeah and it's probably born out of playing with uh, or being coached by the calibre of coaches that we've been exposed to lately with you know Joe Schmidt and Pat Lamb and Connacht and they've had that for their whole life and, and they've been training the way we have for a few years for their whole life and yeah. um, it's just it's part of them it's it's their 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 culture and um, they say it's like a religion over there I, I think it really is when you when you look at the Kiwis that have come over here um, but we also know that because they do the basics so well we've been training like that for the last number of years and um, we can go out and, and, and do that and we've shown we can do it in the past so like I said we'll be giving them the respect that they blatantly deserve and obviously deserve um, but at the same time coming up with a way that we can you know put ourselves uh, you know uh, express ourselves on them It's funny you mentioned Joe Schmidt there the, is there a little bit of your subconscious that relaxes when he signs that contract is it somewhere in the back of your head we all know your relationship with him and how well you get on how similarly you think about rugby when he signs on for those extra few years does a bit of your head go that's great that's kind of it helps my career in some way well, like you know you're going to enjoy no, playing with him for those few years well, I know I'll enjoy playing uh, well hopefully playing with him um, the other side of it is I know him so well that I know he would drop me in a second <laughs> uh, if if he thought that was best for the team yeah. uh, he's done it before he um, you know, I, I even remember uh, coming up the big European game, and and it looked like Owen O'Malley was going to play uh, 13, um, and it never came to it. Owen got a knock and and uh, didn't play. But um, you know, no one, no one is safe. No one ever feels too comfortable, and and that's the other side of of knowing him so well. Um, it'll you have to be on your on your toes every training session, every time you come into camp. You got to be ready to go, and and if you're not, he'll just say you're not playing. So um, yeah. It, it's quite the opposite. <laughs> it's good news for Ireland, though. Ultimately, when you look at the stats, when he's, you know, the press release, all the things he's won, uh, winning a game away in South Africa, winning the series in Argentina, two championships. His stats, if you just look at them in the cold light of day, are ridiculous. Yeah, they are. Since he's come to, to Ireland, to, to, he was obviously with Leinster for three years, six finals. Um, so he got to the final of every competition we played in there, including the BNI Cup and. Uh, then to come into Ireland and win two in a row, go to Argentina, South Africa. Yeah, it's incredible, and it's uh, you know testament to him and uh, the people that he's that he's worked with that um, you know he's done that. Um, but hopefully now we he signed on. I think because he feels that we let an opportunity go at the last World Cup, and and I think he's uh, very hungry to 
to put that right for for this one. Now he's got a full cycle to to work with us and and get the squad and the to get thirty one players in this in the shape that even if we do get five or six injuries like we did last World Cup, we'll be able to cope and that will be uh, it'll be great for the country. The you spoke about with Leinster, it would be extra special to do things again with this new crop of players when you first came in it was kind of the O'Driscoll team and, and all those other great players with Ireland there's a little bit of a change too with potentially Ringrose coming through with Henshaw playing in the centre and just a fresh breed of talent is there, is there a little bit of a new feeling do you think going into this international season there is lots of young exciting players coming through um, one in my position as well Kirby. So hopefully not too much newness in the, in the side um, Paddy obviously as well with, with Ulster um, going well so the South Africa tour changed a little bit yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. the South Africa tour changed a little bit though because there were so many injuries and so many new guys combining over there Jared Payne to fall back in a kind of a new position for Ireland it just felt like a bit of a fresh wave coming through yeah, it did, but we, I think one of the things that we tried to pride ourselves on with Ireland over the last few years, it, it, we're a team, and uh, any one player that drops out is replaceable. And you know, we've we've done that, we've proved that over the years when big games, when for example, Paul wasn't, Paul O'Connor wasn't playing, or Brian wasn't playing, and the guys that came in did a great job. And uh, obviously, we had more of those injuries um, for South Africa, and all the guys came in and, and did a, a great job. But at the same time, they feel that they should have won. The series and uh, we had a, a tough camp where we had to sit and watch those games and, and like where we learned from them and even the guys that weren't playing had to learn from them and um, yeah the guys felt that they should have won the series and so it's a big regret for them even though it was looked at a, as a success because they won the first test match in, yeah. in incredible circumstances and uh, you know sitting on the couch in a sling I was incredibly proud of you know the team of doing that but uh, then after the end of game three. Don't do too well, lads. Though, just yeah, keep a cap on it. Yeah, I was depressed enough as it was in sling after an operation, and um, without that happening. Um, but then, obviously, at the end of the third test, they obviously few regrets then that they, they didn't finish the job. Great stuff from Johnny Sexton there, Simon. A lot more respectful towards New Zealand than Eddie Jones was recently. Eddie Jones said you've got to take on their weaknesses. He wasn't being disrespectful either, I don't think. But he did say they've got significant weaknesses. I'm not going to share them with you now. In 2018, I will. So, uh, yeah, after we beat them, I will share the share the news. Tell everyone how well, to Well, England do are the team that are probably closer to New Zealand now. So, and Eddie Jones, he's the probably the most highly rated coach outside of New Zealand as well. So it will be interesting to see those two play. Ireland... I don't think anybody outside of Ireland will rate their chances. That wasn't the answer I was expecting. Yeah, when you talked about Joe Schmidt's new contract, <laughs> he yeah, yeah. said, well, yeah, great, although I could get dropped pretty this soon. This man is ruthless, and that's the thing that's yeah. foremost in my mind, yeah. Which I suppose is, and in fairness, as, as you get on in years a little bit, I'm not trying to say he's past his best or anything, but you do start seeing these young guys coming up, as you mentioned, Carberry, and, okay, it's great for Irish rugby, but ultimately, you've got to be selfish, and it is a threat to your place in both your teams if if Carberry continues his current rate of improvement well since Sexton took over from O'Gara and clearly became the number one out half in Ireland he hasn't really had a threat Paddy Jackson hasn't until been this at, summer maybe yeah and even still I think Paddy Jackson at his very best still isn't at, he's definitely not at Sexton's level um, but then when in your own club Joey Carberry starts on fire like this, this is the first chance at professional rugby he's on fire and then he takes over at half time and Leinster played better in the second half than they did in the first half. Not that it was really Sexton's fault against Montpellier, but you know it's sort of closer to home. And Carby then is in the, he's in the squad as well for Ireland. It, it's 
I'd say it's the first time Sexton feels pressure since the Ogara days, for sure. Johnny was at Dublin Airport encouraging Ireland fans to bring hashtag home advantage to Soldier Field in Chicago. When but how are, they the get a, how are they going to get over to Chicago on? On November 5th. Well, luckily, Murph, Chicago is one of 10 North American destinations that you can fly ten, to. 10? Yeah, I know what you're thinking. So, so many options. Murph, I know what you're thinking. You probably have Ridiculous. to go You probably have to go around the world for sport to get to Chicago yeah. from Ireland. No, it's a direct flight from Ireland with Aer Lingus, the official airline that's, of the Irish rugby that's team. That's insane, it's just it's 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 unbelievable, and Irish fans generally are very good at bringing hashtag home advantage to foreign <laughs> cities. We're better than bringing hashtag home advantage to, to foreign to cities Aviva, than actual yeah. our yeah. actual home ground sometimes. But there you go. Speaking of Chicago, yes, we have to say it. Remember, this is just a football game, no matter who wins or loses. I am deeply sorry for my irresponsible and selfish behavior. You're being extremely truculent. Whatever truculent means, if that's good, I'm there. Strike three called, and the Giants have won the World Series in Detroit. Turbatty's out on his feet. Frank Cappuccino's going to let him keep it in. Get it! Oh, touchdown! Touchdown, Gordy! Five seconds left in the game. Do you believe in miracles? Yes! Brian Murphy, it's World Series time. How you, I'm sure you're excited. I'm excited that you guys are excited. Mm-hmm. Usually I have to um, – Remember the Giants would have to win a World Series in Texas six years ago, and I'd have to call in with a hoarse voice <laughs> to get your attention. Shout, literally almost shout from the mountaintops to get you guys uh, interested. But uh, you guys at least have a, a modicum of interest, which delights me to no end. And uh, and I and I think for good reason. We got some pretty good stuff here. This is kind of a sort of a sort of a global appeal with the uh, the matchup we have, mm-hmm. given that I think all sports fans across the world can relate to whatever sport they follow, the most sad sack team of them all is what we have in the Chicago Cubs in the World Series. And then, <laughs> funny enough, their opponent happens to be the second most sad sack team. So, I mean, I guess I'm kind of like trying straying out of my territory here, but when Leicester City won the Premier League last year, I'm not sure, is that, the ex- is that sort of the Cubs-type incident? And if they had... By edging out maybe, you know, another terrible team. I don't know, Newcastle or something. I'm sort of out of my element here, but yeah. you get where I'm going, guys? Yeah, yeah. I, I, I think Newcastle would probably be a closer. Yeah, Leicester City. Yeah, yeah, Leicester City is like, say, your little league team winning the World Series. <laughs> Whereas Newcastle is more like uh, Chicago it would be more of a Chicago. I mean it was so out of nowhere. It's actually an interesting uh, delineation though, because you know, there are teams that lose finals all the time. And then there are mm-hmm. teams who have just been nowhere for years and years and years. And then out of nowhere, they come and win something. And like the Cubs have been so terrible for so long that it's nearly, you know, this is this is kind of a, an out of nowhere thing as opposed to loss after loss after loss. Would that be right? Or Yeah, yeah. I'd say it's about 90% right. To say out of nowhere, I mean, if you were paying attention to the sport, you knew that they were loading up. They got a new, the interesting hook to all this, and I know so many Irish listeners uh, have family or friends in Boston or are even living in Boston, that when the Boston Red Sox won the World Series in 2004, it was such a monumental event in American sports. They had had the curse of the Bambino, supposedly when they sold Babe Ruth to the Yankees. The greatest baseball player who ever lived, you know, maybe the most famous American sportsman who ever lived. With our apologies to Ali and Jordan Ruth, right there. When they sold him to the Yankees, there was supposedly a curse placed on the Red Sox forever. And the thing that was happening was Boston is such an incredible sports town, and they care so much. Whether it's the Celtics winning all those championships or Tom Brady and the Patriots, 
or the old days when the Boston Bruins were winning Stanley Cups. It's the, you know arguably the greatest sports town in America. So the Red Sox pain and suffering was a big, big, big deal. And they would get to the mountaintop several times only to be knocked off on the last step, whether it was Bucky Dent in 1978, uh, the Cincinnati Reds in 1975, Bill Buckner, ground ball through the legs, 1986, on and on and on. So for Boston, it was this all-encompassing thing. Now the Cubs are sort of like the same story but different, if that makes any sense. Another unbelievably great American sports city that has a tremendously old and historic and, and charming uh, ballpark that Americans consider a real treasure, you know, on par with uh, the Smithsonian Fenway Park in Boston, Wrigley Field in Chicago. But the difference is, is that they weren't tortured like the Red Sox. They kind of had this reputation as sort of the phrase lovable losers was the phrase because they were never getting to the mountaintop and Wrigley Field was instead some people called it a theme park. Some people called it a cocktail party. It was packed to the rafters. It wasn't like it was a desolate franchise that nobody paid attention to. It was actually something where families around America would make a destination. Oh, I want my son to see Wrigley Field. I want my daughter to see Wrigley Field. Uh, I'm going to take my kids to Wrigley Field on a vacation to Chicago. It became like a thing you had to see, and the Cubs winning and losing was sort of a afterthought. But a couple of years ago, they got the general manager from the Boston Red Sox, a young kid named Theo Epstein. I say young. He's in his early 40s. He's younger than me. And he was legendary for building the 04 Red Sox team that won the World Series with David Ortiz and that whole crew. Big Poppy, who just retired, as we talked about. They wound up winning three, 04, 07, and 13. Now, how about this guy going from Boston to Chicago to take over the Cubs and constructing this what appears to be a dynasty in making in the Cubs, they are stacked with young talent, stacked to the brim. Like this trip to the World Series, this is expected to be the first of what should be several. And this guy, Theo Epstein is his name, is the to- – he has a chance to go down as one of the greatest sports executives in American history if he can break the curse in Boston and the curse in Chicago. For the Red Sox and the Cubs, the same guy constructing both teams – that's kind of amazing. At age like 41, 42, too. So that's a huge uh, subplot to this whole deal. Yeah. I've been reading up on on Epstein. Roy Thompson wrote a piece for ESPN. Uh, got great access to him. He was only 28 when he started building that team in Boston, which is staggering to be in charge of a baseball club, the, the general manager of a baseball club, still in his 20s. But it didn't end well there. It seemed like it really got on top of him. Roy Thompson wrote that Epstein needed out of Boston or rather, he needed to return to how Boston felt in 2002. And that seems to be what he found with the Cubs. Yeah, you know Boston. We've, talk, we've joked about this through the years. It is a tough place, man. It is a, it's a hard place to succeed and stay. The Red Sox success brought with it, you know, all sorts of baggage, you know, expectations and pressure and massive payrolls and, you know, in-house politics. And then the years they didn't win it all, the th- it became, I think, an unpleasant place for him to be. And uh, I always go back to that joke that Tina, uh, Tina Fey and Amy Poehler made when they were doing the Golden Globes a couple years ago, and that movie Argo was out. I don't know if you guys saw that movie Argo yeah. with Ben Affleck. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, uh, yeah, it was about the Iranian hostage crisis. And uh, and he filmed – apparently they filmed a scene or two in the country of Iran, which I didn't know, and, and Amy Fuller and Tina Fey said, wow, we really want to praise Ben Affleck for his realistic you know, movie Argo. They said he, uh, he filmed some scenes in Iran. 
They said Ben actually wanted to film some scenes in his hometown of Boston, but he wanted a setting that was less hostile to outsiders. <laughs> so, I mean, there's a great line about Boston that just goes to show you, man, it's a tough town. And if it they weren't winning championships, it was time for Theo to leave. You know, these coaches and, you know, the great Bill Walsh, who was the coach of the 49ers, used to say you have 10 years in a place before before – Everybody gets sick of your message. The, you know, the players, the fans, the media, the owner. You have about a 10. And that's kind of what Epstein did. He had his run and it was time to go. Where could he go? Well, he could go to the Chicago Cubs, but you no, know, he's not going to build the Cubs into a World Series champion because the belief was that the culture of the Chicago Cubs was so ingrained that they did not need to win. The place would be packed day in, day out. Everybody in America would go to Wrigley Field just to experience the wonderful ballpark built right in the neighborhood called Wrigleyville on the north side of Chicago, very pretty part of Chicago. And there's no pressure to win because they would their, their gate receipts and their money was just pouring in year after year. There was no real mandate to win. What does Theo Epstein do? He gets there and says, we're going to win. And he made a couple of really bold trades. He traded some, some players in their prime for some prospects. And you're now seeing these kids – these, and I'm saying kids, I'm talking about 22-year-old second baseman, Javi, 23-year-old second baseman Javier Baez, who was a draft pick, came out of Puerto Rico by way of a Florida high school, unbelievable player, shortstop, 22-year-old shortstop Addison Russell, who was an Oakland A's prospect here in the Bay Area, who the, 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 uh, Theo Epstein was smart enough to trade a pitcher who was a good pitcher but not a great pitcher named Jeff Samarja, and he got Addison Russell from the A's when he was a young kid. At first base, they have a 24-year-old named Anthony Rizzo, who's a massive slugger. They got him from the San Diego Padres when he was still a farm system kid. And at third base, they drafted this superstar slugger named Chris Bryant. Now, they drafted him third in the overall draft out of the University of San Diego. So that was a case where they had a high pick and they hit on it. So they got this infield, all 25 or younger, all superstars in waiting. And Theo Epstein built it all. He assembled it. Now he's got the other pieces around him, a pitcher here through the free agency market, an outfielder there through the free agency market. And then, boom, they made a huge trade for this fireballing closer named Roraldis Chapman, who's famous for throwing the ball 104 miles an hour, which, guys, is essentially unthinkable. He's, he throws it harder than anybody we've ever seen in our lives. And you guys just can't hit him. The problem is he can be a little wild, and he also had a domestic violence arrest in the offseason that really scared off a lot of teams. But Theo went ahead and some people think kind of sold his soul to the devil, traded for Chapman from the Yankees to kind of the final piece. So they are loaded, guys. They are loaded, and Theo Epstein did it. He didn't just accept that whole, hey, Wrigley Field is a theme park. It's a cocktail party. Let's just enjoy our lives being on the north side of Chicago and collect our money. He's like, let's go win, and they are poised to do a lot of winning. They've got a pretty impressive roster of celebrity fans, Brian. Yeah, most the importantly. Point. I mean, wow. who have we got here, Murph? Uh, Eddie Vedder. I'm sure Brian's a Pearl Jam man, I would say. Of course, say. Who, who here is, uh, isn't done? Um, Bill John, Murray. John Cusack. John Cusack, they were all at the game, games, uh, the last game against the Dodgers. But uh, Bill Murray is, the, is the, the, the undisputed king of Chicago Cubs fans, I, I think it's fair to say, isn't it, Brian? And credit to him. He's legit. Don't forget the uh, the Democratic nominee for oh, president of the United yes, States. Uh, she would be in that list, too, although, and this is where we get into it here, celebrity fandom. And I don't know if you guys run into this over there. I'm sure you do. The flip-flopping celebrity fan. Mm. 
David and Cameron, Hillary Clinton. <laughs> David Cameron forgot. David Cameron forgot which football team he uh, supported, uh, <laughs> which, as you can imagine, got quite a degree. Of yeah, he got mixed up between West Ham and Aston Villa, both of whom wear similar colours. Oh, that <laughs> is classic. Well, you know, it's funny on a less, much lesser note, because Cameron was prime minister, but the mayor of Boston, Ray Menino, rest in soul, rest is, is, is rest in peace. He passed away recently, but this is a guy, the mayor of Boston, and we've already talked about Boston's bona fides as a sports town. This guy would go to parades and screw up the names of the players like when the Patriots won the World Series I mean the Super Bowl I just screwed that up when the Patriots <laughs> won the Super Bowl he was tossing out incorrect facts about players that weren't even on the team anymore people were like dude you're the mayor of Boston how can you do this so he was more of a buffoon but when you get into high level stuff like a Hillary Clinton now Hillary grew, grew up on that aforementioned north side of Chicago which is the beautiful one of the best suburbs in America if you guys are students of the great John Hughes, the movie Sixteen Candles and Weird Science and yep. Ferris Bueller's Day Off, all those great 80s movies, those were all set on the north side of Chicago. And this is like, and Hillary grew up and she proudly did her Cubs thing for a while, all through her first lady stint. Oh, I'm a Cubs fan, I'm a Cubs fan, my dad raised me a Cubs fan. And then when she ran for Senate in New York, just 180 on a dime and all of a sudden started wearing Yankee hats around. Now this is... Of course, when the Yankees were hot, hot, hot with Derek Jeter and that whole crew and they were winning World Series. And it was just a huge repudiation from all sports fans with a conscience were like, Hillary, what are you doing? This is and she like had to say, oh, I, I always like the Yankees, too. And it was like, oh, I mean, just booze were raining down on her. And now, look, here she is two weeks from presumptively becoming president of the United States and her Cubs are in the World Series they sent out a picture on her Twitter feed of her supposedly looking at the game on an iPhone, and she has this shocked, like stunned look, like her mouth is wide open. And I have to tell you, like I like a lot of things about Hillary Clinton. I think she's very smart. I think she could make a pretty good president. I think she's pretty moderate. But I have to tell you, it was one of the f- most fake staged photos I've ever seen. I was like, come on, Hillary. You've already blown your cover. Don't even try to scramble back now, man. So, <laughs> so she's bad. Now, on the flip side, Bill Murray, and this is all by way of saying, I'm giving him credit. He's all the way. And you know, He's always been with the Cubs, even when they're bad. In fact, if you guys want some fun uh, on YouTube, I always like to direct you guys to <laughs> these American YouTube clips. But Bill Murray at the very first night game at Wrigley Field and Harry Carey is a really fun interview because Harry Carey is a character and a half. The guy used to drink Budweiser's in the booth and, and get, slur his words and get drunk. Will Ferrell does an impression of him. And there's a statue of him outside of Wrigley Field. So, But Mur- the point is that that was 30 years ago and Bill Murray was there. He's a Cub fan all the way. And as far as Eddie Vedder goes, guys um, – I'll I, I give him credit. He was born in Evanston, Illinois, north side of Chicago, but then he moved to San Diego, and then he moved to Seattle where he claimed the Seattle Supersonics basketball team. So there is a, a small degree of dubiousness to his, you know, hey, man, how many different teams can you claim in different cities? But I will say it's cool because everybody likes Eddie Vedder. Who doesn't like Eddie Vedder? He's a likable dude. Pearl Jam's a cool band. And he wrote a pretty cool little ditty, uh, an original song called Someday We'll Go All The Way, Boys. And I have to say, it's a little sappy, but it's also pretty cool if you like your vetter, you like his voice. It's a lyrics about him growing up a Cubs fan and that one day they will go all the way. And now that they're in the World Series and you can imagine if they do win it and there's like three million people at the parade and vetter sings that thing, there will be uh, many tears flowing in Chicago as they sing it mightily with Eddie Vedder. But I just think in general, I'll default to say that as a guy who loves baseball, and I know that football is so king, even though the ratings are declining, and the NBA is hot, 
Anything that brings attention to baseball is good by me. So Vetter, Murray, Hillary, Cusack, come on down. I've got bad news for all of them, Brian. They won't go all the way. And you know why. I know why. Everyone listening to this podcast knows why, Murph. U.S. Murph, that is. Mm. They're cursed. Yeah, another one of these. Yeah, they're cursed. They're totally cursed, so they can't possibly win. Tell us about this one, Brian. Well, the curse of the Billy Goat, right? Have you guys ever talked about this? Years ago, so maybe refresh our memories. So in 1945, the Cubs made the World Series. This is back when it wasn't that big a deal. You know, they had won one in 1908, 1907, but they made the World Series in 1945. And a Greek restaurant owner went to the game with his Billy Goat. Why did he bring his goat to the game? I don't know. Is this how people rolled in 1945? I don't know. It's kind of a great unexplored angle of this whole deal is why was he bringing the goat to the game? You know, we need to get to that point. But nonetheless, he did, and they wouldn't let him in. The uh, The usher said, you can't bring the goat inside. And this old Greek, this Greek restaurant owner, he was outraged, and he said he placed a curse. He placed an ancient Greek curse on the Cubs, said you'll never win a championship because he didn't let my goat in. The curse of the Billy Goat, guys. There's a restaurant called the Billy Goat Tavern. It's right under the L, right near the Chicago River that you can go and get the, that's the famous uh, John Belushi Saturday Night Live skit. Cheeseburger, cheeseburger, no Coke, Pepsi. I don't know if you guys know that one from the 70s. No. But yeah, <laughs> you, know, you got to check that one out too, boys. But uh, the curse of the Billy Goat, you know, um, it's been fun watching the interviews going up. To the uh, And I said they're interviewing old Cubs fans, some over 100 years old. And one of them actually said, it was pretty funny, a 102-year-old guy said, what the hell is he doing bringing a goat to the game anyway? And it was really funny. <laughs> so, so if indeed the curse that has gone on for, wow, 71 years now and then going all the way back to 1908, you're right. They won't win. Brian, enjoy the baseball. <laughs> Me and Hillary will do it. See you guys. What you? What are you saying? You just a phony, man. This is just for I admit I don't look like the athlete of the day supposed to look. This ain't wrestling. This ain't the WWE, baby. My belly's just a little big. My hand is just a little big. This is just an act that you're doing. You should be an actor. But brother, I am bad, and they know I'm bad. I'll never do that. There were two bad people. One was John Wayne and he's dead, brother. And the other was right here. You can, you can run around like you're a preacher and all that you want, but baby, I promise you, I will baptize you. You can't teach that. Well, I'll tell you one thing, Murph. Hillary Clinton, if indeed she is a Cubs fan at the moment, which she, she seems to join back on board, yes. yeah. We'll be happy to hear that they won game two last night, having lost the opening game against Cleveland. So the World Series is tied at 1-1. It's a best of seven series. The next three games go back to Chicago. So they, if they were to win three home games on the spin, they would beat There's those dreaded overlords of Cleveland Indians mm. who last won it back in the 40s. The overdogs. <laughs> yeah. Cleveland Indians, yeah. Did you see that photo he was talking about? Brian, yeah. About the Hillary? I haven't seen it yet. Yeah, well, I mean, it's, you know, a photograph of Hillary with slightly uh, mad eyes. Uh, we've seen plenty of those photographs. Uh, some news outlets have been very eager to make sure that we see these photographs of Hillary. Eyes gaping wide, uh, uh, mouth agape. Uh, she just looks very excited. I mean, I, I'd believe it. I mean, maybe I'm just less cynical than Brian. I, I don't know. You can follow two teams as well, surely. Um, well, it's okay for her to follow the Yankees and the Cubs, Ken. Well, I mean, who doesn't? Follow two teams. Follow the Yankees and another team. Uh, well, she was, you know, senator for New York. She's from Chicago. Yeah. And she was senator in New York. So, obviously, she supports the two teams. She's like Jose Mourinho. She gives her heart 100% to the team that she's 
needs votes from at the time. I'm sure we'll be talking about Jose Mourinho in today's Irish Times Second Captain's Football Podcast. That's... Yeah. They have asked for that, really. Well, you can laugh. I'm the World Cup. I'm a little bit of an idealist, but having said that, I want to be like me. What are you talking about? What did you want? I'd like to stay alive. I'd say it to you, face. I'll say it to you now. What are you doing down here, you shawnee man? We're going to talk a little bit about uh, an interesting set of League Cup fixtures. There was a big game between Manchester United and Manchester City. Uh, There was also trouble between West Ham and Chelsea. We're going to talk to John Brearn, who's our London Stadium correspondent. Uh, He's a man who knows the grueling walk from Stratford Station to oh, yeah. uh, the former Olympic Stadium, better than almost anyone. And uh, we're going to talk to him a little bit about what's what's going on with those guys. We'll tweet a link to that Wright Thompson piece that we mentioned on Theo Epstein during our US Murph chat. It was... Well, you actually sent that piece on to me, Murph, and I claim credit for having read it. There's no problem, on uh, Just a team effort. Put that out there. Right now, we're going to go off. I think, Murph, if you're happy enough, I think we might drill into Ken's bulletproof psyche on how to deal with intimidating U.S. immigration control officials so that we can make our next trip to the U.S. a little bit easier. Gr- and a grueling experience for Ken. Well, the the, the uh, formula is simple. Just go walk up to that uh, counter with a clean conscience. <laughs> and uh, I don't see why you're going to have any... You know, if you've got nothing to hide, you've got nothing to fear. Thanks, Ken. You idiot! <laughs> Thanks, Murph. Thanks, Ken. Thanks, Ken. Thanks, Thanks, Thanks Ken. What is that? It's the second time it's gone off. They never go home. They never go home. They never go home, those, those, those boys.